Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at episodes have been very Spain-centric. Since we first met Columbus, we have been busy following his adventures and the establishment of colonies in the Caribbean. Last episode, we foreshadowed some of the factors which would define the Spanish Empire. But, again, it was only the Spanish Empire being discussed. I think it's time that we had a look at what the Portuguese were up to. There's good reason for focusing on Spain so far. The Portuguese did not even sight the Americas until 1500, a full eight years after Columbus did this for the Spanish, and around the time he was returning from the third voyage we just covered. Instead, Portuguese efforts were very much focused on Africa and Asia. I have briefly discussed various parts of their exploits in previous episodes. In episode 18, I introduced the Portuguese Feitorias in West Africa, as well as mentioning Henrique the Navigator and Vasco de Gama. At the beginning of episode 21, we also learned that Columbus met another Portuguese explorer, Bartolomeo Diaz, and we briefly discussed his achievements. Of course, we also know that Portugal had colonised the previously uninhabited islands of Madeira, as well as the Azores and the Cabo Verde Islands. Allow me to briefly recap these things, expand and bring it all together. Henrique the Navigator was the first major Portuguese explorer, and he had discovered the various Portuguese Atlantic islands, opening them up to Portuguese settlement. He also journeyed down the coast of West Africa, expanding Portuguese knowledge southwards, from southern Morocco all the way down to Senegal. He was followed by Bartolomeu Diaz, who, not long before Columbus, 
had been the first European to reach and round the Cape of Good Hope, the southernmost tip of Africa. This was extremely important, as it proved that Africa could be circumnavigated, and that theoretically there was a sea route to the riches of Asia. This was then proven by Vasco da Gama, who set off in 1497, and after working his way up East Africa, reached India by sea. The Portuguese then were the first Europeans to reach Asia, and the first to reach the fabled Spice Islands. They established settlements in Angola in 1485, South Africa in 1488, various parts of East Africa and Madagascar in 1498 and 1499, and India in 1498. You can see then why they might have been distracted, and although they made strong claims to the New World, and had these confirmed in the Treaty of Tordesillas, they largely put all their eggs in the eastern basket. Or at least we think they did. Now a quick warning here, for the next few minutes we will be delving once again into the world of rumour and speculation. We have no firm evidence to contradict the 1500 first landing that I will discuss later in this episode, and which is generally accepted to be true. Warnings aside, some people think that the Portuguese may have reached the New World earlier. They were notoriously secretive about their explorations, not wanting to give others any chance to exploit their discoveries. Depending on how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, Portugal could have reached the New World at any point in the preceding decades, but chosen to keep it secret. The least conspiracy-flavoured claim centres on an explorer named Duarte Pereira, who writes about having discovered islands roughly in the area where Brazil is now. The location seems to match up, and he claims to have made these discoveries before 1500, but his manuscript was written in 1505, so his claims could have been made up, as Brazil had been reached by that point. We also heard, in the episode on Columbus's third expedition, that his route was based on information provided by the Portuguese king. The king had received reports of African canoes, which had apparently reached a southern continent and returned. This led Columbus to go south rather than straight to the Caribbean and discover Spanish South America for the Spanish. Now in that episode, I discussed the lack of sources, information and general proof for this story, so it should all be taken with a pinch of salt. There are way too many questions to really say anything with certainty. But if you don't accept that these African canoes existed, but do accept that Columbus did indeed receive information from the Portuguese king, where did the king get the information from? Perhaps he made it up in an attempt to throw Columbus off course, or perhaps his men had discovered the continent on one of their secret expeditions. It seems strange that he would share this information with his rivals like this, but he did have form in treating Columbus kindly, as their first meeting after Columbus's first expedition demonstrates. Anyway, there it is. In truth, none of this speculation really matters. In the end, if they did discover South America a few years earlier, they did little with it, and it had a negligible effect on history if true. Let's move on to more accepted history, and things we can verify. Going by the accepted history, when the Portuguese did reach the Americas in 1500, it appears to have been an accident. A man named Pedro Alvarez Cabral was leading a fleet of 13 ships to India 
and in an attempt to take advantage of good winds west of the African coast, he ended up being blown off course. It is of course possible that this wasn't an accident, and that the Portuguese were finally making a concrete claim to the lands which they'd been awarded. Considering that Cabral was on his way to India though, and did in fact continue on to India, it seems strange that he would be assigned such an out-of-the-way stopover. Wouldn't it make more sense for a separate fleet to be sent solely to the Americas? His actions, once he arrived, also point to a lack of interest, and suggest that it may have been an accidental stop. He only spent ten days there before moving on. We know a lot about these ten days, thanks to a letter to the king written by the fleet's scribe, a man named Pero Vaz de Caminha. What follows is based on his account. On the 22nd of April, Cabral spotted land and anchored. On shore was a mountain, which he named Monte Pascual. This was about halfway down the coast of Brazil. The next day, the Portuguese set off in smaller boats towards land and anchored at the mouth of a river. They were impressed by the beauty of the beach and they named it Porto Seguro. Here they observed the locals from their boats walking on the beach. A small scouting party was sent out to approach the river, and soon enough the locals started appearing out of the forest in groups of twos and threes. By the time the scouts reached the shore, there were about twenty of them. This is one of those first contact meetings, which in hindsight is loaded with significance. As a side note, our old friend, the explorer Bartolomeo Diaz, was on board this boat, adding yet another adventure to his list. Now, not much happened, but this small encounter was the first impact in a collision of two very different worlds. The locals went naked and carried bows and arrows. This would have been in great contrast to the Portuguese with their clothes, armour and steel weapons. Both sides must have been cautious and unsure of the other's intentions. The leader of the Portuguese group signalled for them to lower their bows, presumably, in doing so, trying to show that he meant no harm. They had no common language, and even if they did, their understandings of the world would surely have been so different that they would have struggled to communicate. To explain their presence would have involved talking about the nation of Portugal, the concept of nation itself, the king, Christianity, the Treaty of Tordesillas, and again the concept of treaties, the Pope, and numerous other things which would have been alien to the locals. On the Brazilian side, their understanding of the world would have also involved many beliefs, laws and customs, which would have been equally impossible for the Portuguese to understand. It seems that although they came within talking distance of the shore, the Portuguese did not leave their boats. Instead, they threw some hats ashore as a gift and a symbol of good faith. Then the scouts returned to the main party, and they sailed a short distance further down the shore. Another small party was then sent out, and again he made contact. Two locals came aboard his boat, and they all went back to the main ships. Here Caminha gives a description of them, which as an anthropologist I love. These were probably a tribe of the Tupi peoples, mentioned in episode 16, and as they largely died off, or were bred into the Brazilian population, 
We don't have many accounts like this which describe them in their traditional state. He says that they were dark brown in colour and have, quote, good, well-made faces and noses. He remarks at some length about their comfortableness with being naked and says that they had piercings made of bone through their bottom lips and one wore a fancy-sounding headdress. The two were brought in to meet the Admiral, but, and this is another example of cultural misunderstanding, they apparently did not behave in the expected way. They showed no reverence to the Admiral. In fact, they didn't seem to realise that he was the leader. They were given the best food and wine that the Portuguese had, but it being so different to what they were used to, they did not like it, and they even spat some of it out. Finally, some kind of communication was achieved. Through a system which consisted of showing things to them, the Portuguese were able to ascertain what was available on land. When shown a parrot which they had picked up earlier, the locals pointed to land. When shown gold and silver, they did the same, something which I'm sure delighted the Portuguese. When shown a hen and a ram, however, they did not. Of course, these things did not exist in the Americas. They were also shown a set of rosary beads, which the locals liked. And what Comenius says about it is very interesting, because it shows a level of self-awareness about Portuguese motives. I will quote it in full. He took them and put them around his neck before taking them off and putting them around his arm. He pointed to land and then again at the beads and then to the admiral's collar as if he meant that he would give gold for the beads. We took it in this sense because we preferred to. If, however, he meant that he would take the beads and the collar as well, we did not choose to understand him. Now the native Brazilian could have been saying either of these things, or something else entirely. The lack of mutual language meant that all sorts of misunderstandings were possible. If he wanted to take them both, that could of course be seen as a bit cheeky. But it's interesting that Comenia openly says that they chose to interpret things how they wanted to. After a while, pillows were brought, and the locals slept on the boat. The following few days consisted of more interaction between the two peoples. Some Portuguese visited a village and remarked at how large the houses were. There was also some trading, and they obtained parrots and cloth, which was to be sent back to the king. There were also more visits to the ship, and all of them seemed to have gone well. It was now getting towards Sunday, and so Portuguese minds were moving on to religion. They had already fashioned a cross out of local wood, and decided to demonstrate to the locals how important it was to them by praying in front of it. Caminha remarks that they seemed to lack a religion of their own. Most likely, he just didn't recognise the form that their beliefs took, or... They had chosen not to show it to the Portuguese. He also says that they seemed to be an innocent people, and that if they just had a common language, he thought that they would probably all convert to Christianity very easily. The cross was taken up the beach in a procession, and around 150 locals turned out to see what was going on. Mass was then said, and although they would not have understood it, it seems the locals wanted to show their good faith, by imitating the actions of the Portuguese. They apparently knelt when the Portuguese knelt and stood when they stood. One man pointed to the makeshift altar, and then to the sky, 
which perhaps shows that he understood that some sort of religious act was taking place, even if he knew nothing of Christianity and could not understand the Mass. The Portuguese then handed out crucifixes and gave a girl a shirt to wear, but she chose not to use it. Seeing this, Caminha equates her and her people to Adam and Eve, before eating the fruit, and this tallies with his earlier comments about innocence. The hunter-gatherer and small-scale agricultural lifestyles of the Tupi people were very different to that of the Portuguese. The fact that the Tupi had no metal, and seemed interested in things like rosary beads, also appeared innocent to them. When you add in the nakedness, the whole thing fits very nicely into the Christian tradition. These people were like Adam and Eve before Satan had tempted them into eating the fruit and gaining the forbidden knowledge, and this place was like a Garden of Eden. It is likely that these people were no more innocent than the Europeans. Their culture had no prohibition on nakedness, and things like beads were new to them, so of course they were interested. They weren't noble savages or innocent primitives, something which both the well-meaning and those looking to take advantage painted and continue to paint them as. They just had a different culture. With Mass said, the Portuguese prepared to leave. One ship was sent back to Lisbon with Caminha's account and the other things which had been gathered from this new world. The rest of the expedition set off to get back on track, round Africa and reach India. They left believing that they had found an island and they named the landmass as a whole Ilha de Veracruz. They also left behind the first European Brazilians. These consisted of two criminals who had been sentenced to exile and two people who chose to sneak ashore the night before the Portuguese left. These two must have been extremely adventurous to deliberately strand themselves in this strange land. While it does not directly involve Latin America, I will finish off the tale of this expedition. But I warn you, it's not a happy one. They sailed further along the coast for a while, before crossing the Atlantic. They reached Africa, but as they went round the notoriously dangerous Cape of Good Hope, a storm struck. Four ships sank, and a total of 380 people drowned, including Bartolomeo Diaz. Another ship was separated from the main group, and they were forced to leave it behind. They suffered no more setbacks while crossing the Indian Ocean and eventually they reached their trading post in India. Soon afterwards, however, this was attacked by locals, and in response, Cabral ordered a massacre. They remained there for a while, before returning back to Portugal. On the way, another ship was lost when it got stuck on a sandbar off the East African coast. As they reached the Cape of Good Hope, they discovered the ship which had gone missing in the earlier storm. It had been stuck there for a year, and only seven sickly men were still alive. One of these is said to have died of happiness upon being rescued. Eventually they reached Lisbon, and despite all the trials and loss of life, the trip was considered a success as they had claimed new lands for the king and made a profit through their trade in India. As a side note, there are many events which can claim to be the beginning of the globalisation phenomenon which defines our modern world. But this is perhaps the one I would choose. Sure, people have been trading and travelling great distances for millennia before, 
and the Spanish had already discovered the new world and set up a foothold in the Caribbean. This trip, however, was different. It linked four different continents, Europe, South America, Africa and Asia, and goods collected from each of these places were brought to each of the others. This was not trade across two continents. This was a large part of the world being traversed and traded with in one expedition. Thanks to it, new goods were discovered, and this only encouraged future exploration, colonisation and trade. Over the next couple of years, there were two other major expeditions to Brazil by the Portuguese, and both were led by a man named Gonzalo Coelho. Now these trips did little more than explore the coastline, but they are important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, a man named Amerigo Vespucci was on board at least one. We're not sure about the second. Now Vespucci is a bit of a mysterious character. and We're not completely sure that everything that is credited to him was actually done by him. He is said to have taken part in four voyages to the New World and written letters back from each. Some of these letters may have been forgeries. So both the number of trips he went on and that he should take credit for the content of the letters is up for debate. For the sake of convenience, though, let's say that he did do everything ascribed to him. If so, it was he who really floated the idea that this was not Asia. It was in fact a new world. Remember, Columbus still believed that his colonies were in Asia at this point. Because of this, the new world was named after him, America. He claims that accompanying Coelho, they reached far down into Patagonia. If true, this would have put him much further south than any European had gone before, and this is what is said to have led him to the realisation that this was a new and massive continent. The second reason that this trip is important is because Coelho founded the first Portuguese settlement in the New World, on the Bay of All Saints. This settlement was on the site of what is today the city of Salvador, and what would become the capital of Brazil. This was to be an important trip for naming things. Not only did America get its name, as well as the state of Bahia, which means bay, and was named after the Bay of All Saints. But it was also after this trip that the word Brazil first started to be used to refer to the Portuguese part of the Americas. The Portuguese had discovered a tree there, which thanks to the red dye it produced, they realised could make them a lot of money. They named both the tree and the country Brazil, as in Portuguese, this word meant something like the embers of a fire, and the dye was said to resemble these in colour. Men were left there, and a fort was built in order to harvest this new commodity. While the Portuguese would return to their nominal lands in Brazil to harvest Brazil wood, their focus continued to point east. I have called this episode Portugal Makes an Entrance, and in fact, make an entrance is pretty much all they did. Aside from their small trading post, they made no attempt to create a proper settlement there until 1530, 29 years later. This is in great contrast to the Spanish, who swarmed around the Caribbean, Central America and Mexico. For this reason, we will for the most part be leaving the Portuguese and Brazil alone for quite a while. I promise when they get their act together, they will receive all the attention they deserve. But for now... They just weren't up to much. With that in mind, 
Next episode, we will return to the Caribbean and continue looking at what the Spanish were up to. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M A X S E R J E A N T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash m-a-x-s-e-r-j-e-a-n-t photo. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.